We were telling you for weeks. All it took was a good two-week stretch, and Chelsea would be right back in top four contention. And here we are. The dust has settled on those two weeks, and Chris Whittingham... Liverpool have been figured out. We'll talk about that, and we'll speak with Crystal Dunn of the U.S. national team. All that and more on a delightful episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up. Vamos! Emotional host Mike Ryan Ruiz here, joined as always by my neutral observer, I don't want to make it about how Liverpool are struggling. I will not make it about how Liverpool are struggling. I will not. Okay. You're, you're, you're enjoying that take living oh. well, though, because you took a lot of crap for that take beginning of the season. And now, all of a sudden, took a lot of heat for that. And it was really, in retrospect, a bit of a soft take from me. I don't think they win the championship, and I think they've been figured out. They're not going to run away with things. Cut to a couple of weeks ago, and and Liverpool are are riding high, and Chelsea are not, and everything is great for Liverpool supporters, and yeah, my mentions were a tire fire, and here we are, they're going through their own set of struggles, and Chelsea have righted the ship. And it's been bizarre, Chris, our neutral observer, because Chelsea haven't really been dominant, but at the same time, they've imposed their will. It's just not reflected when you look at the final score. When I tell you Chelsea have been dominating their opponents, that other opponents aren't even getting chances, yet Chelsea are seemingly eking results out, like they did in the FA Cup against Barnsley, who was game. That's a very impressive team. Been impressed with a few times that we've seen Barnsley this year. I know the second half wasn't sexy for, for Chelsea. Not a lot of opportunities generated, but in that first half... You began to see what we all hope is Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea from here on out. That was a really exciting first half. And man of the match honors from Chelsea Mike Duff easily go to Timo Werner. Amazing to see him finally get on the score sheet. It was one of the really fun moments in watching that broadcast. The relief, like a, a burden had been lifted from his shoulders and he got to enjoy it for all of four seconds before he got popped in the face again. In a game <laughs> well, that he'd already... Well, he also got to enjoy a VAR review that nearly took it away from him. That was right. that was a nerve-wracking 15 seconds. Right. The reaction I'm talking to is like after he went back to the center yeah. line and he saw that VAR finally uh, upheld the goal... You could see it was like a, a childlike exuberance on his face and then, boom, popped in the face for like the third time in that match. He's been impacting games. And for goal scorers, you could see it all too often. Goal scorers check out when they're not getting the goals in their tally. That hasn't been the case with Timo Werner. Yes, there have been rough, isolated matches there where things didn't go his way, but he was playmaking. He was getting assists to his name. He was drawing penalties. So good to see Timo Werner finally end up on that score sheet in the Premier League. It had been over 100 days. Let me say that again. It had been over 100 days between his last Premier League goal. Not at all what you thought was going to happen to this player, especially when he started so well in a blue shirt. But we talked about it in the emergency pod. Thomas Tuchel's main objective. He's got to get the German signings going. Has to. Timo Werner is going under Thomas Stuckel. It's going well so far, Chris. And the amazing thing is, is that, yes, he got a goal, but it wasn't really a reflection of him playing well, as much as, for me, the assist 
was a reflection of him playing well. Yeah, I mean, obviously goal scorers are measured by their ability to score goals, but kind of falling away and sticking a leg out as a ball takes a deflection off a defender from a corner is not a measure for me of what makes Timo Werner a good player. It's why, in some respect, I, I understand why we do it, because it's the most important thing in the game, but a forward's goal-scoring record is not indicative entirely of how that goal scorer is playing, in my view. So, I think that first goal that he sets up by, and, and it was really interesting, I, I was watching a clip from the UK coverage, and they were kind of showing how Marcus Alonso would actually come inside on occasion and play the position that Werner would normally play, and then Werner would play further out wide. And so they kind of have this little interchange of movement, and Werner is kind of left 1v1 with a right back, and when he's playing well... He's running at that right back. He's getting past him. He's getting to the byline and putting a good cross in or cutting inside and scoring goals. So it was more, for me, that kind of action that showed you know, good, strong, hard cross, forces a save out of the keeper, and Giroud turns in. But that is Werner playing well, in my view. But the fact that he gets that bit of confidence, that bit of relief, and now we can just kind of crack on with Chelsea playing with Timo Werner on form, both in terms of scoring goals, but also contributing in other things, is just a good thing to have. But I don't think it's necessarily because he gets this goal. I don't think this goal is any reflection of his skill as much as other things he did in that match are a reflection of his skill. I understand your point about the second goal not being that impressive, but if you want a, a nice takeaway, he was in great positioning. He couldn't be in better positioning. He would be in the net if he were in better yeah. positioning. And, and, and Chelsea can definitely do with a few more back post reactions. There are a lot of times, mm-hmm. particularly from Hudson Adoy crosses, where it's like, oh, if there was just somebody at the back post, this is a goal. So it's good to see that from a corner, you know, someone is staying alert in that space. Yeah, and look, Timo Werner positionally not in the same spot as he was when he was really lighting it up for RB Leipzig so you have to find ways to impact the game when you're not scoring because you're not the tried and true center forward that we kind of assumed you might be a couple of weeks into this Chelsea experiment now that playing time that he's getting on that left flank he's been dubbed a left number 10 well, what does that mean for Christian Pulisic? Now, Thomas Tuchel after the game said Christian Pulisic deserves an upcoming start only has three subs. You can tell maybe the Tammy Abraham injury in this game, which, by the way, I, I look back at it. Only after his ankle got turned did the Newcastle defender actually get his boot to the ball. So I wasn't all in on the camp that said, hey, great tackle. It was a desperate tackle. It was a tackle that had to be attempted. But in my book, and, and now granted, I have the benefit of watching it over time and time again, I actually think that was a penalty and really unfair to Tammy. You could tell that he was really smarting after that taking that tackle, not just because of the pain in his ankle, but realizing, man, I, I had it cooking for this team. I could have made this position mine. Now here comes Olivier Giroud, who is one of the most efficient scorers in the Premier League. And sure enough, Ole gets on the score sheet. What was your take on that tackle in the box on Tammy Abraham? It was funny because as I was watching it in real time, I was like, boy, that was pretty heinous and you know Tammy goes down and he's not one to go down so it felt like pretty quickly that he was hurt but you know I, I was like swayed by the commentary a little bit like the commentary was just like oh yeah he got the ball and and oh yeah I mean they might look at him like it was so kind of casual I was like oh I guess I must be overthinking the fact that this like I I, I don't I, I think those hard tackles are always penalties like when I'm watching him in real time but uh there was kind of like this very old school English thing to watch oh, oh he got the ball so I, I play on but he, he very clearly got a sizable chunk of Tammy's ankle by evidence of the fact that he's hurt now so uh yeah probably in retrospect 
retrospect, at the, we, you talk about we have the benefit of seeing it over and over again. That's the point of VAR, isn't it? The point of VAR is that some guy in a studio or in a closet somewhere is watching this over and over again, and then the referee has a chance to look at it over and over again if it's called up. So I definitely think that should have been more closely examined, especially because you have the delay of the injury, right? You have the time during that injury to say, all right, we're going to take another look at this. Yeah. The casual broadcasters, matter-of-factly, overlooking the fact that it might have been a pen really help shape opinion much like in that Bornsley game where the, the the commentators assumed that it was an offside goal for 30 minutes and then they finally got a good replay on there and you realize oh square ball played to Tammy assist from Reese James let's circle back to CP10 Pulisic doesn't appear we we talked about how the Tammy injury might have changed things a little bit a lot of panic in U.S. soccer Twitter right now over Christian Pulisic. Now, I must admit, he's actually gotten a lot of opportunities. This is his healthiest run in a blue shirt. It's, it was his most consistent playing time. Frank Lampard seemed to really trust him, and yet he just couldn't get on the score sheet. A dry spell for Christian Pulisic. Unlike some of the other players, like when Callum Hudson-Odoi was going through his dry spell, even when Mason Mount was going through a rough patch, even though he was impacting the game in more ways than Christian Pulisic when he's not getting on the score sheet, Christian Pulisic actually showed what he can do. It wasn't just all projections and hype and, and promise. Chelsea do not make top four last year without that brilliant run from Christian Pulisic in Project Restart. It was the best bit of football over a sustained period of time that we'd seen from any of the promising young Chelsea prospects out there. Now he is struggling for the first time. He, he, he was really struggling with health, but now he's struggling with form. Should we be reactionary and knee-jerky to him not cracking this lineup? I know he's been used quite a bit as a super sub, and he's had some good appearances and some not-so-good appearances when he's been given a start. What do you make of CP10's recent struggles in a blue shirt? I think in the in the Barnsley match, I think he struggled. I think a lot of attackers struggled, and Thomas Tuchel probably after the match was kind of concerned with a team that came out and lived up to their identity. Barnsley are a high-pressing team. They come after you in waves, and they caused Chelsea some problems. Chelsea also had some problems because they made 10 changes, and it's really hard to excel in that kind of environment. Away from home in the FA Cup against a championship team, this is their cup final. This is their biggest match of the season. They have an identity that they're really strong with. They went out and beat Brentford this weekend who had like gone 20 unbeaten in the championship so it's a tough match and then on top of that you throw in all these changes so it was a, a difficult environment but I don't think Pulisic excelled in the match I don't think when he had opportunities on the ball and I think you're seeing a bit of that kind of pre-December, pre-Burnley match form from Pulisic where he gets the ball and is dispossessed perhaps a little bit too easily. Isn't carrying through defenders like we see him at his very best. I don't think we've seen his best in recent times. Now, look, form form dips up and down. I'm a believer in the player. And I think as well, like from a U.S. men's national team point of view, like our American listeners would be concerned, like... It's not like he's going to lose his place in the U.S. It's not like he's any worse of a player. He's still nailed on starter, probably your captain, and is going to be the reason why you succeed or fail on, on the national team level. But you would like to see him playing well in a Chelsea shirt. He's just not right now. And, and unfortunately, part of what you signed up for, and what he signed up for, he told us himself, is there are a ton of great players in the Chelsea team, some of whom also aren't playing. Like, do you think in, in Morocco they're having a conversation with Hakim <laughs> Ziyech right now? Probably, right? But, yeah. like, for our purposes, we think of Pulisic. Those three guys who are leading the line right now deserve to. And Pulisic's got to step up. Whenever he gets his next chance, it's got to be better from him. And when he doesn't appear, you have people that follow the sport, and even people 
that just have a general sports background that are influencers in the social media space share their opinion. Noted stirrer Max Brados is always out there quickly. I want to have noted stirrer Max Brados when we play West Ham, but he's always there for a good troll, especially when it comes to Chelsea and Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I, I randomly got a text from a friend yesterday who's not a huge soccer guy. Like, hey, is everything with Pulisic okay? I'm like, yeah, he's really good. He's just having a down period, right? Like, like I'm now confident enough with his success at Dortmund and success at Chelsea to be like, he's a good player. He's just, it, it's not happening for him right now. I did kind of think we were beyond this, but okay, you know what? Good, because Christian Pulisic usually rises to the occasion. I rate the player, you rate the player. This is not a question of whether or not we think this player is good. I am a little troubled that he's been healthy. He's been given loads of opportunity. Granted, new manager, new system, presumably, even though he's got some familiarity with it. Acclimation period for some. He's in a battle, positionally. Timo Werner, not necessarily someone that we thought he'd be in a a deep position battle with, but with Timo excelling in ways, even when he's not scoring, maybe this injury to Tammy might open a path for either Kai Havertz or Christian Pulisic to get some more minutes because Tammy looked like he was on the precipice of nailing that starting center forward position down. Now an older player in Olivier Giroud may come in there. He's had good contributions. You and I have bandied about the idea of, hey, have Kai Havertz play that center forward position he had in times in the Bundesliga, and this might be a great way to jumpstart his Chelsea career. Christian Pulisic, he can slot into that left if Timo Werner finds himself playing center forward we've seen Timo up top plenty of times this season even under Tuchel he's made appearances there as the managers try to figure out this personnel a shame that it happened to Tammy then but where one door closes opportunity may be opening up for the likes of Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic So we've carved out plenty of time here. We've hit all the talking points. Surely we can move on now to our interview with Crystal Dunn, right? Let's do it. No, because a massive, massive managerial decision was made by Thomas Dougal, and we haven't even paid any attention to it. The world's most expensive keeper, Keppa, finds himself back in the starting 11. Now, this was a stunner. Absolute stunner for me. Did not expect it. Keppa... Yeah, he played well. It was a clean sheet against Barnsley. But Edward Mendy didn't really do anything to lose this job. He conceded one goal, and it was to Rudiger. So what is <laughs> what is happening with this decision? It works out. Kepa plays well in that game, by the way. That diving save that he made to his left, preserving the clean sheet in the latter moments of that second half, was really impressive. Positionally, was in in better spots. Still shaky when he when he tries to commit coming out of the box. Still shaky, and I think one of the changes that you've seen under Thomas Tuchel is he's not coming out with the same sort of aggression that he did. He's playing it a little bit more safe, which is yeah, I think we can all agree fine by us. A reckless Kepa isn't really anything we want to see. Kepa wasn't bad under Sorry. Now he's getting an opportunity, thriving so far in a albeit very small sample. Is this a return of Kepa as fixture in the starting 11? Or is Thomas Tuchel still figuring this out? And how do you feel about Edward Mendy sort of being cast aside? Or am I just reading too much into this? Yeah, I, I don't think it... Well, Thomas Tuchel's public comments are that Mendy is not being cast aside. He came out and emphatically said after the match that Mendy is the number one. And so I don't think this will be a long-term thing. I think... 
he probably, you know, was given a set of instructions from Chelsea, right? And one of the things was, hey, can we see if we can maybe fix Kepa a little bit and, and, and make sure that, like, he's in a better place and doesn't, you know, has some more confidence playing for us. So I do think after playing in the cup match, and he was under a fair bit of duress in that cup match against Barnsley because they're pressing and the ball came to him a lot. He was trying to figure out the passing moves out from the back. But after putting in presumably a decent performance, I, I also read uh, Ali Bender on Twitter, friend of the pod, was saying that you know Tuchel is putting on a lot, a, a lot of small-sided games at Cobham and basically allowing players to earn their jobs. And I guess Kepa might have impressed in those. So I don't think we have a goalkeeping controversy. I think Mendy is the number one, but it's good to have your world's most expensive keeper at least in better form than, and, and with a better feeling then you left him, right? Yeah, Allison Bender did absolutely call that Kepa start, which surprised many. Uh, nice level-headed approach from the neutral observer. That's sort of <laughs> your thing. I think there's absolutely a keeper controversy now. Uh, I understand you got to listen to the manager, but that is a – look, you can tinker with the rest of the outfield players. When it comes to the keeper, I mean, communication, timing. It's so important for cohesion along that back line. We saw – cohesion really wreck Chelsea at times defensively this is a big big move gutsy you can make a tactical argument for why Kepa is in there and I think this is just a prediction I've really liked what I've seen from Mendy I've been burned by the Kepa experience I think every Chelsea fan has a lump in their throat a little bit you can we're only human. Yes. <laughs> this is, we're talking about a player that has the worst save percentage in the Premier League that's made some pretty high-profile errors. So you can't help but be nervous when you see Kepa out there. If Kepa can actually fulfill the promise of being the world's richest keeper, then great, the Edouard Mendy signing ended up pushing Kepa to his potential. It's gutsy. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's gutsy to do something like that as you say when you're succeeding right like you're it has gotten to the point where i just assume that Mendy is the number one so much like you share the lineup graphic in our group chat like an hour before kickoff like we're like you, you and i are both you know anticipating yeah. the lineup release i skipped over the first <laughs> name because I, I just assumed it said mendy like it wasn't until you mentioned keppa like five minutes later i was like wait a second keppa start like i i had glossed over it so yeah i mean it was definitely a shock but Again, like this is what you get with a new man. A new manager has the right to say, I think Kepa can do something different than Mendy, and I want to see it in a game that can feel relatively low stakes. It's not a low stakes game because you have to take every set of three points when you're competing for the Champions League, but he probably feels like, I don't know if I'm going to lose a ton going against a Callum Wilson list Newcastle in mm-hmm. terms of shot stopping. Let's, you know, maybe see if this can work with me. Yeah. Yeah, Newcastle flatly bad without Callum Wilson in that first half. Second half, put a little pressure. Mm -hmm. Get a little nervous anytime I see Jamal Lewis back there. Can't lie. I remember. I'm like an elephant. (laughs) I remember that performance that he had for Norwich. It's Norwich, by the way, Americans. Who knew? They put a W in there (laughs) for (laughs) gigs, apparently. The the, the Uh, rare silent on that. Yeah, yeah. Just S and G's. We put a W in there, but it's pronounced with like it has two R's. Okay, cool. It was explained to me by a, by an Englishman. I'm like, ah, oh, is that so? Let me explain to you the W sound. <laughs> Listen, we, we we cannot criticize the number of silent syllables that that happen and that occur in the English language that we just kind of deal with. So the si- the rare silent W, I guess, is kind of crack right. on with it. Right, but Englishman, I I understand the bravado and the uh, the, the, the 
the notion that you can correct me. Hell, the language is called English. I get it, but there's a W in there, pal. There's, there's a W. It's a W. All right. So very interesting to see. I am still going to withhold judgment. Although if you looked into it, maybe I wasn't during this segment. Uh, but I, I trust the manager, trust the players, trust the club. I recite that anytime I get nervous about a starting 11. And boy, did I get nervous so much so that I went from a clean sheet prediction to a 2-1 prediction. Congratulations, Chris Whittingham, on an exacto yet again. A yeah. heater. A heater. Now I was, I was, I was, I was disappointed my record was broken by Barnsley, but back on but I, in, in the Premier League, I've got four exactos on the trot. Stats are different in the Premier League, as we all know, in different competitions, and you are on an absolute heater, my friend. So you will close us out in the third segment. But coming up next, Crystal Dunn amazing player for your U.S. women's national team. Not many in our audience might know she's a proper blue, not just a supporter of Chelsea, but actually played for Chelsea. So got to pick her brain over loads of interesting things she saw over at Cobham, playing for Emma Hayes. What's that like? Her mentality. We love talking to uh, members of that women's national team about their mentality, bringing it over to Chelsea and uh, perhaps... An opportunity to see Crystal Dunn don the blue shirt once more? Maybe. We'll get into all of that with Crystal Dunn coming up next. Introducing Perfect Play, the most advanced football training app available. Developed with and used by the Chelsea FC Academy. Built with innovative player tracking technology. Featuring masterclasses from some of football's biggest stars. Offering world-class, personalized football coaching. So train with the best and become the player you want to be. Start training for free. Download on the App Store now. Let's jump right in because I love good organic starts. Uh, Crystal, in researching for this interview, seeing how versatile of a player you are and a goal-scoring record nearly at every position, she scores when she wants. Obviously, I want to talk to you about the, the, the time over in Chelsea and what's going on with the Women's Super League, but having to be so malleable, having to be called on at basically any position by your manager, how do you stay ready for that? Is there something unique about your preparation because of your versatility, or is it just a mentality thing with you? Um, I would say... A lot of it is mentality because, you know, you just sometimes you have to will your way to really be the player that you want to be, you know. So when a coach does come to me and says, hey, we know you're an attacking midfielder, but we need you to play outside back. You know, the first thought is obviously, dang it, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But then the second thought really is like, okay, I know I can dominate and, and impact the game. And regardless where I am on the pitch, that is my mentality is to be able to make an impact and, you know, be the very best player I can be, even if it is from a different angle and uh, perspective on the pitch. Let's say on mentality for just a little bit, because Emma Hayes joined us on an earlier episode, spoke to the American mentality. We, we spoke to Allie Krieger. She also touched on this. It sounds like you're just sort of like this lump of clay that goes into these uh, United States training camps. And then you come out this chiseled machine that is all about winning and just making a statement on the world's grandest stage. What is it like going into that training camp? I imagine it helps shape you. Some people that may not go in there with an edge come out with an edge. Yeah. I mean, I've been on the national team now for nine years. Scary to think about that. And I feel like 
you know, I attack every training camp the same as if it was my very first camp. It's about, you know, proving that you belong there because regardless of what you did the, the camp before, the year before, that all goes out the window. You know, it's about consistency. And I think that's why it is hard to uh, last a long time on the national team because it is about consistency. It's not about, hey, you had that really great year. So you're stuck on the national team now for 10 years. So the competitiveness in the environment, as you touched on, Ali Krieger, one of my very best friends and uh, just someone I looked up to on the national team when I first got there from the beginning, I learned about mentality from her, you know, and she's just an incredible role model, somebody who gives it all, leaves it all out there. And that's what, that's what it takes. You know, you can't hold anything back. You have to leave it all out on the pitch. And it's funny you mentioned Emma Hayes because me and Emma from the first time I went to Chelsea, we just like vibed, you know, and I feel like it is because she really appreciated the American mentality. You know, I think when I went over there, she was like, Crystal, you have to, you know, continue pushing these girls here about how it might, you might not have your best day that day, but it's about the, the work ethic. It's about wanting to outwork your, your opponent mentally, physically, whatever, whatever it takes. And I feel like when I left Chelsea, one, I was super sad. I had to leave earlier than, than planned, but a lot of the messages that the girls, uh, you know, wrote to me was not about Crystal, you know, you're an incredible player. Thank you so much. It was about, you know, thank you for bringing that, that energy, that, that positive energy, but that competitiveness. And I think, you know, that's what I try to do every, with every environment that I step into is just, is leave a lasting impression of I'm the, you know, I'm the hardest working player out there. And that's, you know, what I strive to do every day. So when you joined Chelsea in 2017, can you just describe what you walked into? Because obviously you're, you're, you know that you can bring something different into that environment. And at the same time, it's Chelsea. It's a huge club. So what was kind of your feeling walking in and what were you going to bring? How it was different than what you were used to? Yeah, I think when I went over, when I went overseas, I really had no expectations. I think that was the best way to really plan, you know, leaving your whole life and kind of going overseas, going to a team that you didn't know very much. Well, you knew the club, obviously, but as far as the players that I was going to play with, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, you know? So I think... For me, I opened up that door for me to just be surprised and, and just take in and take in a new environment and embrace new challenges. So, um, yeah, stepping into the club, it's a huge club. The training facility was incredible. And, you know, my eyes were literally like this. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, this is, this is incredible. You know, the men's pitch was, you know, two fields away from our training pitch. And you just – you felt the whole vibe of professionalism there. And, I, and it really – inspired me to want to be at my best. I was like, we have everything laid out for us. So I can't play bad here. You know, everything is, is given to me. So it was just an incredible experience just to feel, you know, a real professional environment and feel like, you know, they are investing money. They're, they're wanting the women's league to, to grow and prosper. How much do you think uh, the impression of the Women's Super League has changed? Because, I mean, you're coming up on, I believe, your four-year anniversary from playing at Chelsea. Just in those four years, that league has grown so much. Much thanks to the, the World Cup over in Europe brought a lot of attention there. A lot of money and resources now pumping in. These clubs know that there's a lot of money to be made here. You actually had to leave the Women's Super League because you felt like you had to make a team. And now we have all these Americans going to the Women's Super League. What do you I make know. of the sea change here? <laughs> I'd like to think I'm a trendsetter or something. But, uh, clearly I left, you know, things, things are happening, but no, it has nothing to do with me. I do think um, that's just, that's just the women's game growing. Um, and it's, it's people investing in the game. It's, you know, it's people wanting to invest in, in a product that actually is really great stuff. You know, for a long time, the whole argument was, Oh, it's women's soccer. It's, it's different than the men. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I am a female and I am different than, than men, but 
at the end of the day, it's the same sport. It's the same love for a game. And I think people are now catching on to that. Obviously, the World Cup, being in France, being in Europe helped. And a lot of eyes were drawn to European soccer. I mean, it's a, it already was that way, but I think it just propelled women's soccer in, in a new direction. But yeah, I think coming off of a World Cup, you know, seeing players invest and want to go overseas. I had a great conversation with Sam Mewis, who was my teammate in North Carolina, who was you know, asking me about the experience I had. And I was like, dude, it's incredible. You have to go. And, you know, I don't know how, you know, how long she plans on staying, but I was like, even for one season, two seasons, like you are going to grow in so many different ways. And and that's what I felt happened to me was just diving in all in. Like I said, no expectations, just taking everything in. And I feel like when I came back to the U.S., I was um, a more complete player. How big is it for the growth of the women's game that clubs like Chelsea and the other European giants, right, that have the financial might in the game want to invest now in the women's game? Chelsea set a record transfer for bringing in a women's player. How much do you think this propels the growth of the game? And what do you think the American game's response will be? Because in some ways, they're, you know, the the central power force in, in the world in terms of this sport. And America's kind of got to keep up. Yeah, I think it um, it puts pressure on the NWSL, you know, and uh, I'm the first to say it. I think NWSL has been incredible. It's a super competitive league where I feel like it, it breeds competition. And that's great. I think you step into every game knowing that you have to be at your best because there's there's no real games in the NWSL that I say you you win 8-0, you know, and I feel like other leagues, you kind of have those games where you can take the foot off the gas a bit. But I feel like one thing that NWSL has over a lot of leagues is the competitiveness. However, the financial uh, issue has been a big problem for a long time. And, and players, we're going to miss out on players wanting to play in the, in the, in the U.S. because they're going to have opportunities to go overseas. And, you know, at the end of the day, you should always exercise all your, your options. So um, I think that NWSL has a lot of pressure on them to pay players the way they deserve to be paid. And I think it's, it's going to be healthy, growing, moving forward for the NWSL. The Women's Super League in England is still growing, but one of the things that stuck out in watching the London Derby between Arsenal and Chelsea, meaty challenges, just like if it were like on the men's side, like that traditional rivalry is carried over to the women's side. Was it like that for you four years ago when you were playing for Chelsea? You got up for certain rivals? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, playing against City, playing against Arsenal. Tottenham wasn't in the league. I mean, a lot of the teams that are in the league now weren't there before, so obviously it looked a bit different, but but yeah, the rivalries were definitely there. I had to be introduced to it. I mean, I knew it obviously on the men's side, but I think playing uh, in these London derbies, you kind of get a feel of like, this is for pride. Like, obviously this is for points. You want to, you know, win the league and, and obviously be top of the league, but it was, it was a lot of it was for pride. And it's, it's really, it's an incredible feeling, feeling like you are wearing, um, you know, a city on your chest and you're you're fighting to, to turn that city blue and, and the other team's fighting to turn it red. And you're just like, holy crap, this is incredible. So um, just the vibe there was was so different. It's just a different level of competition and it's not like the U.S. So I, I was really, really uh thankful for that opportunity to play in those. And you mentioned how some of those clubs weren't involved back in 2017. They are now. Manchester United is coming strong, including bringing some of your American teammates in. Now that the league has kind of grown fairly exponentially in even three years, is there a temptation to go back? Some of your Americans are there too. Is there a feeling that maybe you want to return, if not to Chelsea, then then somewhere in Europe? Oh, man. Why are you tempting me here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
so obviously I just made a move to Portland uh, to be with my husband. I'm excited about this new kind of stage in my life where like I've been married three years and I'm like, holy crap, I have spent one month with my husband. So this is like a new kind of change. And obviously Portland Thorns is an incredible um, organization that I'm really excited to uh, be a part of. With that being said, I think, you know, no door is closed. I have a great relationship with Emma. We actually chat pretty much, you know, once every couple of weeks and we keep up with with everything going on. Obviously, COVID, I checked in on her and the team and, and saw how they were doing. But I always know as long as Emma's there, I feel like I have a little bit of a, you know, a little gateway into to the club. But um, as of now, I'm just I'm, I'm, ex- I'm enjoying where I am now. And um, like I said, no door is closed, though. <laughs> Whoa, that's a Chelsea mic'd up scoop right there. Great question, Chris. Hats off to you, my friend. We can still see a return to Chelsea from Crystal Dunn, but you did just move to Portland. You got you got even chickens. I was reading about your chickens. Now, I need you to confirm a report that I got from our research staff. Is one of the chickens named Chelsea? Yes, it is. I feel like any pet that I have, yes, I called my chicken a pet. People are probably like, are they pets? Uh, yes. So every pet I have, I feel like I have seen saved a name, uh, saved one, and the name is Chelsea. So I actually had a cat two years ago. She unfortunately passed away from a from a virus, but um, her name was Chelsea. And I mean, Chelsea always has a special place in my in my house. <laughs> yeah. Crystal, I want to talk about uh, what the WhatsApp group chats must be now that so many Americans have ventured over to the Women's Super League. Some of the dynamics have changed. You probably all had your banter several years ago before the Women's Super League grew into what it is today. And now teams have maybe were shading some of the uh, the teams that they find themselves on now. It, it might be uh, proved to be an interesting dynamic in that WhatsApp group. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, life takes you on crazy rides. I feel like, you know, seeing where you were probably three years ago and seeing where you are now is, is sometimes it could be such a drastic change. And I think that's, what's great about soccer in general, just it's, it's always changing. It's constantly opening new doors and new opportunities for people. And I think players going overseas now are maybe, maybe they never went overseas before. Obviously Sam and Rose Lavelle, I think this is their first time obviously going overseas. So I think, um, you know, three years ago, they probably weren't even, you know, wasn't even on their radar. And I think that's what the beauty of it is. And like I touched on before, it's going to put pressure on all these other leagues to, you know, get things in order because players are looking for the best opportunities for themselves. And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of an extra dollar here, an extra, you know, cent there. And that that matters to people. So so all these leagues, the pressure is on. All these players coming out wanna, want to want the best opportunity for themselves. From an off-field standpoint, what's 2020 been like for you? Because the NWSL, they had the Challenge Cup and then uh, got into a few friendlies. There just haven't been that many games for you to play. How difficult has it been to, to stay sharp mentally and physically given everything that's gone on? Yeah, it's been, I mean, 2020 was a challenging year for like, so many reasons, you know, and every single person experienced it in a different way. And I feel like, uh, you know, limited games, the constant break of the, the season was really difficult to obviously take in. And I think the biggest one was obviously the cancellation of the Olympics. I think that was the one that everyone was like, whoa, if there's no Olympics, like what is happening, you know? And, um, you know, I just took it as is. I, I'm, I'm the type of person that I don't like to really be like, bummer, the world's coming to an end, but I like to kind of accept what what is happening at that moment, what reality is, and, and just kind of go from there. I actually enjoyed a bit of downtime. Uh, I'm somebody who's obviously been on the national team and played club for a long time, and the schedule is pretty gruesome. You know, I only have pretty much a four-week 
off season. And for once I was like, wow, I have two months of like doing what I need to do to get myself mentally and physically ready for, you know, whatever's next. And I think I kind of took it as a positive to just say, hold on, the world's coming to a weird place right now. And, you know, maybe it's time to connect with those that I haven't connected with. Maybe it's time to now work on individual training stuff that I haven't worked on because I've constantly been with the team. So I actually enjoyed kicking the ball around with my husband and just making soccer more of a fun game as opposed to like it's a job and you're already being competitive all the time. So yeah, it was a, it was a weird year. I want to close with your thoughts on the Chelsea campaign, both the women's and the men's. But before I do, since you answered my question a little while ago, I wrote down in my notes for no reason whatsoever, Diego Costa and Hengolo Conte. You can take those <laughs> names for your chickens. I think Hengolo Conte is a real winner. <laughs> actually really good i need to definitely call you next time i get a next <laughs> look this is just after three minutes i mean I, I can send you a full list i'm sure we'll we'll get it all sorted that was, yeah. that, was that was great please yeah. you, you can get the ig account for hingolo conte yeah. it'll get millions of followers edward hendy oh look at you <laughs> yeah hendy uh so without uh, no uh, corny uh, nicknames for your pets aside i want to ask you about uh, the women's and men's campaign these fixtures especially during the festive time they tend to add up you don't get the emotion from your home crowd uh, I know you're still waiting to make your formal proper debut for the Portland Thorns, but what do you make out of the playing conditions right now with no fans? you have to approach these games differently? Do you have to find extra motivation there? Yeah, I would say it's not so much extra motivation, but, you know, you're used to, you know, the fans hyping you up and feeling that environment and that intimate uh, relationship with the fans. And I feel like, you know, that's not going to be the case for a while. You know, who knows when fans are a full uh, filled out stadium can return. And I think, you know, for every player, it it's, it's not great. I don't think any player is sitting there saying, yes, I love an empty stadium. This is, this is amazing, you know, but I think, you know, I got a taste of it. I've seen the challenge cup. And then our last game with the women's national team was against the Netherlands, obviously a top opponent and there's crickets. So you're just like, wow, this is a pretty tough, tough matchup. And, you know, there's not external noise to really, give momentum. I think that's what it is, you know, but as far as motivation, I think most players are stepping into the games like, nope, I got to win. I got to perform. I have to be at my best, but you know, we are, you know, lacking in the the noise is not ideal, but we understand it's, it's for safety protocols. And um, you know, we're at least happy sports are returning back. Obviously I think it was, it was needed for people at home who felt like they needed an escape and, and needed to kind of pivot from what, what was happening in the world right now. So I want to ask you a bit about the Chelsea women's team as it is currently. Uh, they have no shortage of attacking options, but I want to ask you about one player in particular. That's someone you've played against in Sam Kerr uh, in NWSL. She was an absolutely tremendous player for Chicago Red Stars before moving to Chelsea. What's it like playing against her? <laughs> well, at least I'm very happy that most of the times I am playing against Sam Kerr, I am in an attacking role, so I don't <laughs> actually have to mark her with <laughs> Lovely. Um, and then obviously when she's with Australia and I'm on the national team, I obviously do have to run into her quite so, a couple of times. So Sam Kerr is an incredible player. You know, what she did for the NWSL was was amazing, not even for her own personal career, but just, you know, really putting a spotlight on the NWSL. You know, the goal she was able to create, the tenacity, the uh, explosivity that she brought to the league was, you know, incredible. And I think, um, you know, she did reach out 
one or two times before just, you know, asking questions about Chelsea. And I was like, Ooh, somebody's making a move. But, <laughs> um, but I was, you know, I was really happy that she chose to go to Chelsea because obviously of my own personal experience, but I know Emma Hayes values uh, what American soccer style can bring to the WSL. And I feel like, you know, what Sam has been doing for Chelsea is basically what she's been doing all her career, which is causing havoc up top and, and making uh, defenders definitely have to be on their heels. And just, you know, now I'm happy she's obviously hit the form that she wants to hit and she's been scoring a ton of goals and it's been, it's been incredible to see. Seden Hazard. <laughs> I appreciate you the You are really not even listening to me. You are thinking about these chicken names. <laughs> just the wheels are, are turning now. I just want to name every single one of your chickens. Uh, Crystal, uh, one last question here before we let you go. You've been so gracious with your time. Uh, Chelsea have had a lot of success with the women's team, obviously. What, what can you speak to the overall commitment to excellence? Because Roman Abramovich has sort of set forth an edict, and this is a club now that is built on uh, success after success, trophy upon trophy. Having so much hardware over there at Chelsea, does it translate over to a side? Do you feel like everyone's pulling on the same rope and has to be committed to this level of excellence over there? Yeah, I think when you're part of a a huge club, there's obviously a target on your back every single season. And I think, you know, it's about getting top talent. Obviously, I think on the men's side, they had incredible summer signings. I think it's really, um, you know, benefited the the team. And I think on the women's side as well, Emma knows that in order to really compete to to win the league and, and compete in Champions League, you need the talent. But I think that's not the only thing that gets you to uh, those trophies and, and, you know, create success. I think it's about the chemistry. And when I was there, you know, it wasn't about just being the best player. It was about, Hey, can you trust that your teammate is going to work hard for you? Can you trust that your teammate has the technical ability to play you the balls that you need? And I think the trust has to be there. And I think that's um, what I enjoyed most on the team was just knowing that it's about getting to know your teammates and not just being like, Oh, you're an awesome player. Like we're going to win. Like, no, there's so many things that go into play. And um, and I think that's what I truly enjoyed was taking the time to really know my teammates and know their skill set, them knowing my skill set. And on the men's side, you know, trusting these young players like a Mason Mount, a Christian Pulisic, like it's incredible to see young players gain confidence week in, week out and, and you know, really contributing to the team. And, and hopefully we definitely at least finish where we are in Champions League for the next year. <laughs> Crystal Dunn, thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you on again because I want to ask you so many other questions yeah. and not just name other chickens like Petter Chick. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we hope to make you a friend of the pod. And uh, we broke some news here, Chris, with your question. The door <laughs> is not shut. Maybe one the door day is not turn. shut. Anything can happen, you know? Anything can happen. But again... I'm happy where I am, guys. Don't be trying to get me in no, trouble. No, 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 no. We're not going to get you in trouble. We're not going to get you in trouble. We're not going to get you in trouble at all. But maybe the calendar works out where, you know, I mean, Alex Morgan was there for like a little cup of coffee. Maybe right as like we enter the, the, the Champions League final, we have the versatile Crystal Dunn, former NWSL MVP, just make a quick appearance, pop in and out. Just bop, you know, just bop yeah. in. <laughs> Open door over at Cobham. Thank you so much, Crystal, for your generous time here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. We can't wait to speak with you again. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the FitStand app, the official Chelsea app.
Our thanks to Crystal Dunn for joining us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. My name is Chris Whittingham. Mike and I have had plenty to say on Chelsea's 2-0 win over Newcastle United in the week. Let's hear the manager's thoughts. Here's Thomas Tuchel with Chelsea TV's Lee Parker. Another goal for Olivier Giroud off the bench and also something I wanted to ask about Timo Werner. Great that he got the goal, but his overall performance, how impressed were you by that? Yeah, it's good. He deserved really. He worked hard in the last games. He won decisive penalties for us. He had assists against against Sheffield. Uh, he was assisting Mason Mount's goal. Today again, assist and a goal. So it means he's involved. He's involved in our goals. And this is exactly what we need. We need a goal threat from, from uh, more positions and not only him. But I'm very happy because he worked hard and he deserves. We've spoken about Mateo Kovacic's impact before, haven't we? How good was he tonight? Yeah, I love him. It's very easy. I love him. Can wake the guy up at three at night, and he will be at Cobham at three three fifteen, and uh, ready to to give everything, and ready to listen, and ready to 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 play with full energy. You need to calm the guy down in training, and that he's not doing too much, and uh, it's super reliable, totally open, and uh, yeah, it's, just, uh, it's a pleasure to have him. So for you, six games in. Five wins, just one goal conceded, now up to fourth in the Premier League. Do you feel like we're building momentum? Yeah, yeah, we have the momentum, but it's hard to, to create the momentum. We should never forget how much Merck this needs to, to have consistency in results, to have consistency in away games, home games, cup and different competitions. So we can never lose, uh, we can never lose the understanding of how hard it is and how hard we work for that. And uh, it's absolutely necessary that we don't don't uh, give in one centimeter and one percent of, of the intensity and determination. So now it's two days off. It's necessary also to, to recover mentally and, and, and physically. And from uh, Thursday we yeah from Thursday on we need full focus uh, because it's, it's not the end here and. Uh, I'm, I'm sure nobody, nobody will behave like this and then we will make everybody absolutely clear that it's not, not the finish line. We have still a lot, a lot of uh, games to play and uh, we, cannot the feeling, we cannot have the feeling that we are already there. We are on a good, good way. It's well deserved. It's hard work and we have to keep on going. Thomas Tuchel, a bit of love there for Mateo Kovacic. Another player who's been resurgent under Thomas Tuchel is Antonio Rudiger as part of Chelsea's back three. Here is Rudiger once again with Lee Parker. Defensively, it's obviously a slightly different system, but it seems to suit you really well. How much are you enjoying your football at the moment? Yes, uh, I think uh, it's, it's going well. It's not the first time we play back three, so uh, I think most of the guys, uh, they know how the system works, and, uh, yeah, and it goes good. We're also seeing defending from the front as well, the front three, once again, with those recovery runs and, and tracking back. How important is that? Yeah, like I think the master of this is Mason Mount, because he does really great work off the ball, but also Timo did well. Tammy also unluckily got injured, uh, had to sub, got the sub early, but Oli came in, did also great work. Oh, I think uh, it goes well for us, because uh, defending starts in the front. Certainly does. A word on Timo, your mate. I mean, obviously a big goal for him. What will that mean for him and his confidence moving forward? I think his whole performance, also before against Sheffield, against Tottenham, he, he runs a lot, he works a lot for the team. And today, I think, uh, cannot be only happy with, of course, he should be happy with the one goal, but I think with his quality, I think he could, he could get more, but it's good how he's, uh, how he's reacting, like uh, the way he works off the ball and uh, works for the team. And I'm happy for him that he got the goal. 
Many thanks to Crystal Dunn for joining us here on Chelsea Miked Up. If you want to watch Crystal Dunn's U.S. Women's National Team in the She Believes Cup, that begins tonight against Canada. Ooh, Canada. My blood is boiling right now. Oh, they grind my gears. I can't say that I hate them because that's a mean thing to say, and I've been called out on that, but ooh, Canada. You're right up there with the Tampa Bay Lightning in terms of teams that I just don't like right now. London 2012 always looms large when you're talking about the Canadian national team. What a what an Olympic Games that was. The 4-3, the Arlo White commentary of Alex Morgan's goal. Tremendous. Yeah. Oh, well, we're all rooting for the U.S., obviously. It's the She Believes Cup, so it kind of feels like we should win that one uh, <laughs> based on name alone. I don't want to. This is an imperialism over here. I kind of feel like that one's ours, though. So, yeah, the way, Canada. All right. Let's talk about what's happening in the Premier League because this is a true storyline going on right now. What has happened to Liverpool? Mm. Can't talk about Chelsea's position in the top four without noticing the fact that Liverpool who at this point last year were, what, 60 points up on West Ham? <laughs> now are behind West Ham in the table. It's gone all wrong for Liverpool after that Jota injury. Jota was a true impact signing for them. Perfect fit, perfect player, got the player ascending, and that injury has totally undone Liverpool. It's weird. They played all this football without Diego Jota. They won these trophies without Diego Jota. But now they don't know how to play without Diego Jota. It's mind-boggling to me. Yes, they've had some injuries. Now, when Henderson finds himself as a center back, you can obviously point to the Virgil van Dijk injury as something that's far more impactful than, than Jota. However, they had a dip initially after the Virgil van Dijk injury, and then they started taking off again to being favorites in the in the title chase when Jota started hitting the ground running for them, what are the solves here for Jurgen Klopp's side? Now they're dealing with the loads of expectations being reigning champions in the Premier League. They finally got that to their name, and they're crumbling under the pressure. Not since Jose Mourinho's title defense have we seen one this poor in the Premier League, Chris. Yeah, I mean, you know, Manchester City a year ago were pretty bad, but like this is, you know, orders of magnitude worse. But I don't know because the the center back thing is obviously talked about a bunch and it does kind of throw off their balance because even if like they still got a pretty decent midfield, they got Thiago, they got Vinaldum, they got some good players. It's just that I don't think they've figured out without a Gomez or without a Joao Matip, how do they attack like they do attack without leaving themselves vulnerable? I thought they were pretty good for large stretches against City in terms of the way that they normally play, the press and the passing and, and the way that they play. I thought they were pretty good against Leicester for large majorities of the game. But then it just completely falls apart. And that's a, like a mentality thing. That's a what the hell has gone wrong thing. that You just have no concept of how in the world did a team that was so strong won every trophy, right? The, the Club World Cup, the Champions League, the Premier League. They've won so many trophies under Jurgen Klopp in the last few years. How can a team that was that strong, it mostly be the same team, and they completely fall apart at random moments, and now they've lost three in a row, Merseyside Derby at the weekend, probably the rare time where Everton, even though they're coming off a loss to Fulham, is like, all right, we can get them. Like, it's probably been seven years since they felt that way, uh, but... Yeah, it's it's been a completely inexplicable fall from Liverpool just in terms of all the things that made them good. They are like fundamentally incapable of doing them now. Injuries can be viewed as excuses. Sometimes they're explanations for what's happening. But when you're top six side 
and you're as deep as Liverpool, you can only cry injury so much. Credit to Brendan Rodgers' Lesser City Foxes, because they have more injuries than Liverpool. And James Madison said this in a post-match interview, you're just not talking about it as much because we're not viewed as this top six club. They have battled throughout so many injuries to that back line, even to Jamie Vardy up top. What a goal celebration, by the way. He was really slapping the bass yeah. with the corner flag. <laughs> uh, you see people go guitar. You never see people go bass with it. So impressive from him. They've survived these injuries. Brendan Rodgers has his team plug and play. Everyone knows exactly what they're going to have to do when they get out in that starting 11. Injury to Justin. It doesn't matter. They just keep piling on results. Now that game turned on a dime, and we'll see. We've seen this lesser before, even under this manager. Well, they'll have really hot stretches, pull off some big results, and then towards the latter part of the year, they lose steam because it's impossible for them to keep punching above their weight class. Especially because now they're now, now, now they're in the Europa League, to, to add on top of all that. Yes, which is even different than what they dealt with last year. So, do you forecast Leicester City to fade away come the end of the season like they did last year? Or can Leicester City make it back to the Champions League? I, I think that you have to give them a, a, a great chance. Right now, they're four points clear of uh, Chelsea and West Ham. They're six points clear of Liverpool and nine points clear of Everton. So you're basically saying, you know, West Ham or Liverpool are going to make up that ground. Liverpool definitely can rebound, right? They've gone through bad, sticky patches before and they've come out the other side. But you can also say that Chelsea have gone through rough patches this season. Manchester United are kind of in a rough patch. They only have one win in their last five. So Manchester mm-hmm. United aren't, aren't, in a, aren't in a brilliant run of form. They can be caught. So yeah, I would definitely give Leicester, just in terms of like, it, it's remarkable when you're not one of the big power clubs, right? To have that depth that you mentioned, to be able to survive injuries, to have like three good center backs, three good fullbacks, uh, you know, a central midfield that can take an injury. They've been without Ndidi for a while, and you know, Daniel Amarte came in. Like they have like a bunch of players who can just fill that void. Where you look at their starting eleven weeks, like this is really good. Like there are players in the Leicester side that would get into other big six clubs starting lineups. So I think that they're playing tremendously well right now and you would imagine that they've kind of learned the lesson year on year and I have to say like Brendan Rodgers was kind of a punchline after what happened to him at Liverpool there was that behind the scenes documentary that dude can coach like he's really good at his job and I, I certainly like just from a you know underdog standpoint they're the only side you know that's not in the big I guess West Ham is in there as well but kind of a non-big six club that's kind of in with the shout I think it'd be really cool of Leicester like not it's not the same as winning the title but they're holding on to that reputation where they could have so easily fallen away after winning the league and having to lose Conte, Mares, and and close to losing Vardy. Let's turn our attention to Southampton, the final real warm-up match, as if you could call it that, because Southampton are not a bad team. They're, they're not these slouches. Danny Ings is back, and he's scoring goals. He's doing Danny Ings tings. So <laughs> the last possible warm-up, if you could call it that again, before Atletico Madrid for Thomas Sukol, and then really... Uh, Atletico Madrid kicks off a really significant stretch for Chelsea and their top four campaign in the Premier League. Got to win this one against Southampton, a team that's been tricky to play against for Chelsea. Bad result the last time these two played for Chelsea. What do we make of this Southampton team that is starting to fall back down to earth a little bit? Yeah. 
Yeah, in the Premier League, it's five losses in a row, and it's kind of a mirrors last year when they lost 9-0 and were really struggling to bounce back from it. This year, they lose 9-0 to Manchester United, and they're struggling to bounce back from it. They couldn't break down Newcastle down to nine men. Uh, they lost to Wolves after being 1-0 up and playing pretty well for the first half. The one thing is that you know what you're going to get from Southampton, and that is kind of a, a scarier proposition, right? When you know a team can live up to an identity that's something that you have to be concerned with, especially when that identity is similar to Barnsley's, which gave you a bit of trouble. So I'll be curious how Chelsea respond to being pressed and how they can kind of figure out Southampton as opposed to maybe allowing that style of play to kind of break Thomas Tuchel's system. I'd be curious how much he's worked on, all right, when we're in these kinds of pressure situations, this is what we have to do in order to pass out of it without Thiago Silva to kind of lead the way in that effort. Not sure if we can read into their last matchup, but it's one of the more memorable games of the season. Every once in a while, you'll circle a game and figure out how this impacted your top four chances. And that game against Southampton, right before Chelsea got going into a really good stretch of football, Ball, miss opportunity. Chelsea led that game 2-0, most dangerous lead in sports. And <laughs> both the Germans scored in that game. Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Werner bagged a brace. That's how long ago this one feels. And at the death, an equalizer in a game that Chelsea led 2-0. They end up dropping a game that they wouldn't have never lost in Jose Mourinho's first run to Chelsea. Just flatly would not happen. It was one of those results that we saw all too often here in recent years where Chelsea end up dropping points in a game they looked sure to win, but that was a different Southampton, and it was a different Chelsea. In previewing this match, I think it's fair to say that you and I both rate their manager, and we rate the striker, but we're liking what we're seeing here from Chelsea, so it'll be an interesting prediction time here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Let's tell the fine people about the play predictor game as part of the Fist Stand app, Chris. Yes, uh, Chelsea FC app, the Fist Stand app. You can search it in the App Store or Google Play. And within the app, there's a game called Play Predictor. You guess, uh, obviously, the score, possession, corners, all the kind of major stats in a game. And if you get the correct prediction on the game, then you are eligible to win all sorts of cool prizes. There's one for each match week, for each month, and obviously at the end of the year, the best predictor uh, will get an opportunity to have a real cool grand prize. So stay tuned because Chris Whittingham writing his four-game exacto streak in the Premier League will tell you exactly what happens in this game. In the meantime, let me bore you with what I think is going to happen in this game. Man, short memories, people. All right, I used to be the exacto king here, but the tables have turned. (laughs) Here's my prediction for the game. I keep thinking Chelsea are going to break out and hang more than two upon an opponent and really have one of those Thomas Tuchel-defining performances even though they're getting the results. So here's what I'm going to say. 2-0, Chelsea. I still don't think it happens. Maybe we have to wait until the Champions League in a neutral site venue against Atletico Madrid. But I think Chelsea continue their form. We continue to build on positive things. Let's put in two good halves. It'll be interesting to see who the keeper is. So stay tuned to hashtag Chelsea Chatter to see after I see what the starting 11 is going to look like, what my prediction will be, because it may change depending on the keeper. 6.30 a.m. Chelsea Chatter this week then, because I feel like, you know, maybe if not for the keeper situation, this might be a record on a Friday night and tweet it Friday morning. But Mm. I feel like you're going to be up at 6.30 for a 7.30 a.m. kickoff. You know my daughter all too well, Chris Whittingham, your prediction. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm actually going to go for a draw in this one. Uh, away at Southampton, I think Southampton, they're liable to pull off a, a, a good result even in a down period of form. So I'm going to go for Southampton 1, Chelsea 1. Wow, at the St. Mary's Stadium, just because your face got windchapped that one time when you <laughs> went to it and it was as cold as we've ever been in our lives, does not give you the authority, I don't care how hot you are, to call a draw here. So there you have it. Draw and a win, man, the neutral observer really testing those skills. That's a a (laughs) gutsy prediction right there. We'll see what ends up happening. Hey, if you like what you heard this week or in previous episodes with Christian Pulisic or Olivier Giroud, lots of great players from the Chelsea women's team, even from non-Chelsea players, like we had Crystal Dunn this week. Beth England is coming your way next week. Chris, we're very excited about that conversation. So if you like what you're hearing, if you appreciate the access, please reward us with a subscription, rate, and write a quick review. Hey, show good. That's all I need, really. That's how I manipulate the algorithms over at Apple. So please do that. Share with your friends, and we'll be back at you next week. Till then, up the chills.